This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. Earlier, uh, Dom walked up to me and asked if my socks were dirty. I did not expect that to happen, but it did, and uh, one sock on, one sock off, with shoes, it's not comfortable for the, sock, the sockless foot, so I, I chose no shoes. I hope you're comfortable with that. I hope that's the only thing that really stinks about my sermon tonight. Haha, <laughs> but don't, no, no drummer. We're continuing in the series, uh, Bricks and Mortar. The purpose of this series is to find truth, to reestablish truth. There are truths that our lives as Christians are built upon that we cannot deviate from. We sadly don't have the bricks with those truths here, but they're somewhere. In Dom's first message of the series, he talked about a lady named Elisa Childers. She is a Christian apologist. Who, that's someone who defends our faith. She's someone who defends our faith, who uh, at one point in her life, before she was an apologist, goes on this journey to figure out what it is that she believes. She was either going to throw out her Christian faith completely or have it fully strengthened. After that first message John preached, he spoke about Scripture and its inerrancy, its foolproofness. It's inability to ever be wrong because it is the word of God. It is perfect. To believe that scripture isn't God's perfect word throws down all the truths that we stand on. You can believe nothing about the truths that we believe if you don't stand on scripture alone. Then last week, Dom took us on a beautiful journey, reestablishing our belief about who our God is. And it was beautiful. He is the sovereign Lord who is in control of all. He's the master of salvation. He is life and he is trinity. Now with an accurate view of who God is, we're going to take a dive into what we believe about man. An accurate, biblical view of who we are. What should we as humans believe about ourselves? See, what a person believes about themselves is highly important because what a man, what all of man, what humanity believes about itself determines the, what we believe, uh, determines how we teaching, act, uh, that determines we the way that we live. Trying to put out the fires of, as we as Christians must have an accurate, truthful, biblical God view of who we are. Including you. tonight's sermon, we will look. We know that's at not the these biblical truths. We'll look at they the say that God is in all things, and all things. We'll see are that man's purpose is to glorify God. Man's state wrong? is one of total that makes depravity. This mystical force that's throughout look at everything. The fact that man's like justification was bought by man's creator, and you can feel it, and it's in you. Let's read and Psalm one forty-five, ten through twelve. Not the truth at all. All your works shall give thanks to you, that Yahweh. You. To a position that All your not. saints shall bless you. 
They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom until of your power. To make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. God is a God of glory. Not because he's some prideful guy sitting in the sky just loving himself like we might think. But because he has the ability, being that he is perfect, to love himself perfectly. To deserve all glory perfectly. Not like we could ever imagine. He made everything for his glory. He's an eternal God with eternal purposes and systems. And nothing that he has ever done will fail or not give him glory. He is not. In everything. One of the beautiful God things that he did him. at creation God is not glorified was that he created us. God is glorified by and a holy, holy perfect, separate, amazing God, God of eternity chose to make us in the image of himself. Meaning that we both look like his son, son part of the Trinity. And we have the attributes similar to his. He designed us with creativity and Imagination and seeking glory in the proper way is the Lord God Almighty. He made us after Himself. Even they say, "Look, I'm nothing compared to what He is." Why would God? God is marvelous. Why would He? He's an artful creator, just like any artist would do. God signed His work. See, the, the thing is, we are created in His image, not to make ourselves feel good or elevate us to any sort of position that we are not in. We're made in his image because we're his signature on creation. Everything that he did is for his glory. And we're right there saying, God, God did it. And you can see it through me. You can see it because I look like him. You can see it because I've got the same attributes and desires as him. That's how it was in the garden. It should not fill us with pride so much as it should bring us to an immobilizing humility. But we're like, what? God of the universe, God sovereign over all, God who was existing for an eternity before he made anything, chose to make me like him? We ought to be magnifying the Lord. When we walk the earth, creation ought to be reminded of the one who spoke it into existence. God ought to be magnified and glorified. This leaves no room for our own glory, but only for the one who deserves all glory. Recognize that you were meant to glorify, not to be glorified. When man sinned, We chose to try and glorify ourselves. That's not how things should be. Like Psalm 145 is talking about. All things are for God's glory. His kingdom. So, recognize that you are meant to glorify. And only that. That's going to require you following his commands in your daily life. It's going to require you standing on scripture and the truths and then walking them out. You can't glorify God and continue to live 
the way that the world lives. I think the summer is probably like the best time ever to probably like ditch a whole lot of friends that you won't be seeing in school every day because you know that they don't glorify God like you're supposed to. Do something. Magnify the Lord. Be creative with it. Man's purpose is to glorify God in creation. Instead, we chose to glorify ourselves. When we believed we could become like him by disobeying him, by eating that fruit, when we bought into lies, when his word was twisted into something that it wasn't, we opposed God, a living God. Humanity became a depraved, dead shell of what was meant to magnify the living God. To stand in opposition of life is to choose death. And death has no business pointing to life and saying, look, life, life's so great. No, death cannot glorify life. This brings us to our second point. Man's state is one of total depravity. What's that mean? Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, As it is written, none is righteous. No, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does, does good. Not even one. At one point in history, it got so horrific that God wiped out the planet except for one family. We are completely and totally soaked in sin. Among man, there is no one that is good, by God's definition. God's definition is the only one that matters. All of humanity is touched by sin. And that's not to say that you can't do something that's good. It's not to say that we are all as evil as we could possibly be. But we're all tainted. Isaiah 64, 6. We've all become like one who's unclean. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Look back at that one line. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Even the good things that you can do, because of your sin, because we're stained as humans, it's not good to God. That's why whenever you've got these people, like, you go and evangelize, and you say, Look, Jesus died for you so that your sins can be paid for, and so that you can have eternal life, and you can glorify God. And they're like, I couldn't care less about that, because I'm a good person. And like, I do good things. Like, I donate to charity probably more than you do. So why would God be mad at me? Even the best that you can do is still polluted garment if you're in sin. And I'm trying to communicate about the state of man. So because it is touched by sin, even the best is no good. So uh, has anyone ever had like an animal die in their house? One, two, look, hands, hands, wow. You guys are lacking hands, just saying. Um, I, I grew up in like a trailer and like rats would get into our house all the time. And so they would die in the wall like nobody's business. I mean, we didn't have to set out bait. There were just so many of them that they were bound to die. So one time one of them died and like whole house stunk because that's just what happens whenever something dies in your wall your whole house stinks it's not because it's everywhere in the house but because the smell gets everywhere your house has been touched by a dead thing 
and the evidence is there as soon as you walk in the door. It's like, whoa, <laughs> that stinks. Sam, where's Sam? Man, could use my sock. Is it? I'm sure it's down there, and I'm sure, oh, look, it stinks. Oh, you're going to want to wash that hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah don't want to go near her. She's going to stink. Um, okay, I, I apologize. Look, I'm sure you're near, you can wash your hand. It'll be okay. Come on, now I feel bad. Okay, okay, okay. It's pervasive. It's like a stench. There's nothing you can do about it. Not until the thing decays and fades. But sin doesn't fade. It just permeates. It just sticks. There's nothing we can do about it. But what does the progressive Christian have to say about sin? This is a quote directly from progressivechristianity.org. It is a real website. They really say things like this. They call sin the S-word, by the way. They don't really talk about sin. Ready? Many of us don't believe that Jesus had to come and die for our particular sins to atone a vengeful God. We don't really know what to teach our children because we don't want them bogged down in shame and guilt. Yet, we also want them to grow into adults who are moral and ethical and compassionate. Why is that ridiculous? They're saying, we don't want people to feel bad. We don't want to teach our children about sin because then they're going to feel shame and guilt and conviction. But also, sin's real, I guess. So, they've got to know about it, maybe? But we'll probably not tell them? This is ridiculous. Sin saturates man. They'll say, sin does not saturate man. And it is not chiefly against a holy God. They say sin is instead just some evil force at work like the dark side in Star Wars. To progressives, sin is something that interferes with unity amongst people to express yourself. Sin rejects certain lifestyles, makes people feel guilt, shame. Sin isn't bad because it's rejection of a holy God. Sin is bad because it makes people feel bad and it brings division. So like, think of all the bad things that ever happened in the world. That's why sin's bad. Because of wars. Because of diseases. Because of racism. And don't get me wrong, those things are bad, and those things are a result of sin. But if we're going to stop and say things like shame, guilt, racism, war, and disease are the reason that sin is bad, then we're missing the point. Those are adverse effects, yes. But the reason sin is bad is because it is a rejection of a holy God. It's because we are living in death as people who are stained by sin. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man... Oh, wait, 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 no, I'm skipping ahead. We're going we're gonna to slow down for a second. We believe that sin, rightly, is any rejection of God. We are all sinful, and there is nothing we can do to escape sin. It sticks. It's, it lingers like that dead rat smell. 
Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's just the truth. It's something that all people live with. They have fallen short of the glory of God. Which was their purpose before. To glorify God. Romans 5.12. Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. It's very serious. It's not just against each other. It's not just the evil stuff that goes on in the world, but it's against our creator and our created purpose. Focus. Psalm 51.4. Uh, Psalm 51 is a lament. It's King David, who was like a really great guy. King David, really great guy, messed up bad. He slept around. He wound up committing adultery with this lady, got her pregnant while her husband's off at war. Sends her husband to the front lines and he gets killed. He knew that he would get killed. So, <clears throat> against people, he committed adultery and murder, which is pretty darn bad. But what does he say immediately? He says <clears throat> to God, against you and you only have I sinned. That doesn't make any sense to us. Because we ought to be apologizing to like the husband's family and to the wife for killing her husband and for making all these bad decisions and sleeping around. That, that makes sense. You should apologize for that. That's ridiculous. And th those things are bad. But the issue is that he grieved the heart of a holy God. A king appointed by God for God's works, for God's glory, for leading a nation, totally let him down. That's us. We're the ones designed with a purpose who totally let him down. There's a major problem. Image bearers of the perfect and holy living God are dead and completely imperfect. And it can't be so. We can't point to a living God as dead people. It's like expecting a stinky house to make itself not stinky all of a sudden. We're totally permeated. And there's nothing that we can do to stop it. Sinful man cannot fulfill its created purpose. It's hopelessly depraved. It's dead on its own. But there is hope. Has anyone ever heard uh, of Ezekiel 37? Ezekiel... He's a prophet of Israel. Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones. Good, because I get to educate you. So, Ezekiel is a prophet sent to Israel by God to set the nation straight. And God paints him a beautiful picture of the state of the nation whenever he takes him to this valley. And, oh, this is perfect. You guys get to be the dead people. So, God is standing next to Ezekiel, and God's like, Ezekiel, look out, what do you see? He's like, I see a valley of dry bones, because you're all dry bones. And he's like, okay, can they live? Nuh-uh. No, there's no way they could live. No way possible that dry bones could turn into human flesh, except for if you did something, God. If you told me to tell them. He goes, okay, tell them. Do it. Come on. And Ezekiel's like, 
flesh. And then bones just started rattling together until joint went to joint and then ligaments appeared and then like tendons and muscles and flesh. I mean, but they're all still laying on the ground dead. And God was like, all right, all right, all right. Now they need to breathe. Okay, breath. And then they just started breathing and they got up and they started praising God. And God says, that's the state of Israel. That's the state of my nation right now. They are dry bones in need of revival, of real death to life change. Cut it out. And God's the only one that can provide that. The living God has decided to make a way for sin, for sinful and dead people to live and to know him. They will once again be able to fulfill their purpose of pointing to him as creator for glorifying him. They will be just like those raised from the dead in Ezekiel. And he made the way for us too. If God made okay. If God made us his image bearers for his glory, that he should get glory from us in that way. And that's something that God instituted. If God and we messed that up, right? We were gonna be his image bearers and glorify him, and that's how he would get glory, and then we'd like totally ruin that. So then naturally He's not just going to abandon it, being the amazing God that he is. He decides, I'm going to redeem this. And we all know that he made a way. He made Jesus Christ the way that we could go from dead, dry bones, to living again. But what about those who aren't saved? Or are never saved? Are they living outside of the will of God? If glory through redemption is the new purpose? By no means. All things work according to God's plan. And he has planned all things so that he gets glory. Those who are not saved are justly punished because they are rejecting the living God. God's justice is shown to be great and righteous in that those who stand in rebellion to him are punished. And on the other side of things, we see that his grace is shown to be magnificent in that those who are undeserving of forgiveness and new life are somehow justified by Christ's sacrifice. So that we see whether through justice and wrath or grace through Christ, God gets glory and who he is. When we recognize <clears throat> oh, <laughs> God's glory will be obtained. To quote the mad titan Thanos, dread it, run from it, destiny still arrives. God's will and God's glory are inevitable. Cannot call ourselves Christians and not respond to the beautiful grace that has been given to us. When we recognize that we are sinful, that we were not meant to be the way that we are, and we turn to the Lord for help <clears throat> and for salvation, he then frees us. We can repent and believe in the Lord, and he will not 
He will be faithful to save us. Don't continue to do the same things that you did before when you were dead. Don't compromise in your integrity if you're saved. Again, this summer is the perfect time. Now is the perfect time to kick off glorifying God. If you haven't repented and believed, repent and believe. And if you have, then glorify God like you're living. What a person believes about themselves is highly important. What humanity believes about itself informs the way people live. If we live thinking wrongly about our sin, we accept it instead of rejecting it. We stand in acceptance of death. We stand in rejection of the living God. And we're completely consumed by death if we stand in rejection of the living God. So, thirdly, man's justification was bought by man's creator. So far we've learned that man was created for a specific purpose that he rejected, he denied that purpose, and he chose death. But in death, God chose, in their death, God chose to redeem. And there's hope because our creator made a way. Our gracious God orchestrated a beautiful plan for our redemption. And that plan we play no part. This is his doing. It's his work. It's him. It's our God who does the work. Remember, because what we could mess up, we did mess up. And we proved time and time again that we would love to mess it up. Romans 5, 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We were, we're just weak. We're dead. We're the dry bones sitting there unable. So, of course, it's all God. Uh, a coma patient or someone who's experienced like serious trauma could like maybe be saved real quick. You know, if you get them in a hospital soon or, or whatever, people can be saved on the brink of death. We are not on the brink of death as sinners. It is a common misbelief that we are thrown a life preserver. We're in the water and we're throwing a life preserver. This was Dom's illustration. You should probably remember it. That's not it. We were not floating, just trying our best and losing. We were completely dead, drowned at the bottom of the sea. We were the valley of dry bones. You cannot try your best in this life. Your best is sadly just death and polluted garments. So we are criminals, you could say. We are the ones deserving of the death penalty for standing in opposition of the living God. But Jesus provided penalty substitution. We, being dead and in debt to a God who created us, must be justly punished. God is a judge, and he is just, and he cannot rightly pardon the guilty. In fact, the first time that he displays his character and he tells people about himself he says I'm a just God and I'll by no means pardon the guilty he also says that he is forgiving it's this strange 
paradox of, of who he is. It's this mystery. But we see how he pardons the guilty. Let me clarify. We see how he provides a way for the guilty. It's through substitution. Because though we deserved penalty, Christ came in and was a substitute for that penalty. It was Christ who was our substitute. We don't have to die a sinner's death because he did it for us. Isaiah 53.5 Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we're healed. The substitution is only by grace. Only by the grace of our Lord. It's not earned, but it is gained only through faith. Christ's sacrifice made a way for sins to be atoned for. Those who place their faith in him will be made justified, cleansed. And he will be their substitute. They can be made alive again. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Again, it's no work that you could have done on your own, because we already proved time and time again that we cannot do it. After being our substitution, Jesus gives his righteousness to us. He was the only perfect person ever. But he wasn't just the best in humanity. He wasn't just the best of us. He was God. Truly God. Truly man. Those who believe in Christ and place their faith in the work that he did to cleanse sinful man, righteousness is imputed to them. It's given to them. It's laid over them. Christ's righteousness so that we are no longer seen as sinful man, but to God the Father, we are seen as his children. We're seen righteous. We have access to heaven, no longer dead but fully alive. We need the righteousness of Christ to cover us for all time, because if not, we would surely continue in wickedness. Romans three ten through 12 As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We testify that we ourselves are no good. But imputed righteousness is the reason that God sees us the same way that he sees his son. Perfect. We're counted as, children, as his children. Because it's Jesus that covers us. Penalty substitution was made available by grace. And it's accessed through our faith in him. At the moment of our belief, Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. So that we are forever counted righteous. Through this process, we go from standing accused to totally justified. Our justification is bought by our creator. Think back to the smelly house from earlier. 
Um, worship teams, you can come up if you like. Well, you can come up. <laughs> this is just the opposite of the smelly house from earlier. Where once the smell of death permeated everything, now life permeates everything. Because our Savior has put life in us. It's a complete change. Through being justified, we can once again magnify the Lord like we were created to. By the death of Christ, we have been bought back. And now, we not only point to Him as a mighty, majestic creator, but now we get to glorify Him as sovereign Savior. Gracious. How beautiful. Think back to the opening illustration. Did I even use my opening illustration? Who knows? The man attempting to fly an airplane? I think I totally skipped it. Okay. If you tried to fly an airplane, being someone who cannot fly an airplane, you're going to be something destructive. Which is exactly what we did. When we try to be something that we are not, we mess up. But God made a way for us to be something that we are not. For us to be counted righteous, though we were never righteous. And instead of ruining anything, it makes everything right again. An accurate view of man recognizes that we are nothing but fully dead in sin. That accurate, humble view of who we are leads us only to look up for help. It's the only place left whenever we realize where we are at the bottom. We see that God has always been up there, able, when we were dead. We can repent and believe and be saved because of what He has done for us. And it's simple. All we have to do is humbly recognize who we are as humanity and then turn from that. It's something like this. God, I recognize that as a member of this world, I am in opposition to you. I'm sorry, God. I want to be a citizen of heaven instead. And I am done not glorifying you in my life. That's repentance. It's turning from what you were and choosing life. If ever, oh wait, I'm sorry. And see, repentance shows faith because there's no way you're turning to the Savior sincerely without first putting your faith in Him. You won't trust in His power to save and ask forgiveness without faith in Him. You do nothing except have faith. And even that is not produced by any work or strength of your own, but it's the gracious love of God. Those of you who have already placed your faith in the Lord for salvation, I implore you to glorify Him in whatever ways you can. Everywhere that you go, do things to glorify God. If you get any recognition for it, point right back to God. Turn everything back to Him. 
If ever something good happens to you at every meal, visiting with people who you love and are a blessing to you, thank God continually. Praise Him. Give Him glory. Be genuine in giving God glory. We as Christians must have an accurate, truthful, biblical view of who we are. Our purpose is to glorify God. Our state is one of depravity. Man's justification, our justification, was bought by our Creator. These truths should leave us with a profound view of who God is. A proper view of who we are leaves us with the highest view of who God is. It ought to make us grateful for the things that He has done for us. Our God is the glorious Creator of the universe. He's the Master of Salvation. He is a just judge and a gracious Father. He has done all things for His glory. He is sovereign over death and life, abounding in steadfast love. He's like no other holiness. Nothing can compare to Him. A challenge for you, two of them. I want you to praise God for who He is daily, but not just like in some emotional way, not just in song, but take your time, write, be intentional about glorifying God, about thanking Him for who He is, and mean it. If you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, accept Him now. Believe properly about who you are as a man, and know that you need Jesus. He's the good, loving, and perfect Savior. Repent and believe in Him. Be saved. Lord, thank you for tonight. I thank you for elevating. God, touch their hearts. I let this bring them to a place of, of humility and appreciation for who you are, Lord. Help them to recognize God, that they are meant to glorify you with their lives with everything that they do. Lord, we love you. Help us to serve you well and to glorify you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.